now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out. He's Andy Shelton and I'm Steffi Barnett. Uh, today uh, we carry on our coverage of LGBT plus history month as we talk to the very well known Peter Tatchell. Plus Sask is finding out why it's cool to be trans. All today right here on Shout Out. Everyone, I, we'll go round round the room, but we literally have such a packed show because we got a real special interview with Peter Tatchell coming on. That's like epic, like mega feature length. Uh, but very quickly, hello Matthew, it's lovely to have you back, mate. Hello Andrew. <laughs> oh, but very formal. I mustn't do that. I must be like, Hi Andy. Is that better? I think it's you out trying to say Andrew. I know it's really weird calling you Matthew because I've got so many friends that are Matt, and it's that like love hate thing, yeah, isn't it? So, yes. so anyway, lovely how are we all? Here. Lovely yes. to have you. Um, yeah. Uh, Lovely, Steffi's here too, um, Andy's here, um, and yep. Terry's here too. Hello. Um, a very warm welcome to all of you. I'm literally going to kick things straight off though, because it is a feature length epic one. We had a lovely, lovely chat with um, Peter Tatchell earlier, which we're going to play you uh, very, very soon, but it's quite a long interview. So uh, let's go straight over and catch up with Saski, who's finding out why it's called to be trans. Great. Saski 5. Oh, yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to my Sasky 5 with Shout Out Radio. Now today's guest is a woman on a mission. Let's find out more from the trans ambassador and founder of Call To Be Trans. Please welcome Katie Neves. Katie, how are you doing? Hi Sasky, thanks very much for, uh, for bringing me on. Oh, no problem, no problem. Um, listen, so there's so much that we, to talk about. I know you're busy, you're doing so many different projects, but tell us a bit more about Call To Be Trans and why you set it up in the first place. Okay, well, basically, I've been um, a photographer and filmmaker for 34 years, but three years ago, I came out very publicly as being trans um, um, after living for 48 years as a man. And so it, it, um, it happened that I came out very publicly um, mainly in order to protect my as a business protection thing to protect my photography and video business which was and still is named after my old male name which is martin it's martin his photography and film oh, and nice. so it was that was the main thing but then i started vlogging my whole journey and it got picked up in the initially local radio so local radio local newspapers then it escalated to national um radio television newspapers and magazines and so all of a sudden i've become this trans ambassador if you like um, right. or gobby trans woman as some people call me <laughs> <laughs> um, no. and then that, that led to me forming call to be trans to do two things really one is to reach out to other trans people just to let them know that it's okay to be trans because it really is okay to be trans and so many trans people put so much pressure on themselves especially in the early days when they're trying to accept themselves as being trans because they think that if they accept that they're trans then the world will be ending whereas i've actually experienced the opposite my world has opened up <laughs> um yeah. so it's just to let them know that it's okay to be trans um 
and it can even be cool to be trans <laughs> and then <laughs> being on brand um, and then the other thing is to educate the general public about it and just to let them know um, that trans people are just ordinary people who want to be safe loved and happy just like everyone else and that's it that's the entire message Oh, amazing. And I mean, that message is so important, isn't it? Because that is what we all want, you know, as humans, we all want to keep being in a safe space where we can just be ourselves and just live our everyday lives. So important. Um, you know, so I know a lot with your training and, you know, as a spokesperson as well, you know, you do often talk about your own journey. What impact do you think that lived experience has on your audience? Oh, it's absolutely massive. It, it, with all, all of my training and the presentations, my journey is always the, the, the most impactful part of it. Um, you know, when you tell, when you've got someone standing up in front of an audience who, or, or in front of a screen these days, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what I mean, yeah. um, who is actually living that story and telling their own story, it's so powerful. And, and, but I tell it in a way that's um, it's moving, but it's also, I put a lot of humour into it because I think it's really important to entertain your audience as well as to educate them. If you make them laugh, then they'll like you, hopefully, and then they'll listen to what you've got to say and they'll remember it. So I think it's, it's very, very important. Yeah, no, that's it, that's it. And again, that comes back to you being that, you know, a trans ambassador. You know, your voice is important in terms of getting your story across, raising awareness. Um, how have you found that role? Um, brilliant. It's been I've been so well um, accepted, and 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 with Cool to Be Trans, it seems to be really sort of getting getting a lot of traction now. I've been doing lots of lots of really good um, training and public speaking um, gigs with some really big companies, and yeah, I, I think people are people are listening now, and I think it's it's our time now. I think it really is. I think it's yeah. trans people's time. I think we're. We we are probably about thirty years behind um, gay and lesbian people. You know, I think in, in terms of acceptance, and so we've got still got a long way to go. But I think it's our time. Yeah. Well, this is it, isn't it? And this is why you know, as a, even as an LGBTQ plus inclusion trainer myself, you know, I know how important that positive impact and that education and awareness can have so for people like yourselves as well doing that we can only we can only hope that we get to that place of you know social justice and inclusion and positive change sooner rather than later so it, it, it is lgbtq plus history month uh you know thinking about the past and how far we've come um who would you say is is your queero uh within our our history our past our present Okay, well, I'm going to get the present ones, and I'm going to be greedy and say rather than have one, I'm going to say two because they come as a pair, and that's got to be Jake and Hannah Graff. Oh, um, yes, amazing couple, lovely couple, and of course, well, in fact, not as a pair, they come as a, as a trio now because they've got little baby Millie now. Yeah, they are <laughs> so cute. Yeah, but they're they're fantastic. They're such great ambassadors, and they they do so much good, and they've raised so much awareness. Very high profile, lovely people. So so yeah, they're they're my queeros. Oh, that's great, fabulous. Yeah, and they are definitely the, the uh, you know trans power couple or power family now. Yeah. And and it, again, a great to you know great to be out there creating more visibility um, and awareness. So listen, Katie, as always, you know time flies when you're having fun. Thank you so much for talking to us today um, on the show. Um, just quickly, where can people find you? Okay, probably the best thing is just to have a look at my website, which is uh, all the W's, um, <laughs> calltobetrans.co.uk. And that's, uh, that's cool. And then number two, letter B, and then trans.co.uk. Fabulous. Loving it. Thank you so much. Katie Neves, everyone. Thank you, Katie. Keep up the great work. Oh, thanks, Matthew. <laughs>
shout out. LGBT Radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. Uh, the lovely Gary Barlow. Uh, let me go. Oh, it is making it seem like it's a bit more like summary. Yes, no, hello, that's just Steph, co-presenter. Are you there? Come in. <laughs> um, I'm here. Obviously not being quite so summary uh, where, where you are. <laughs> it's a fancy, but that track is about a serious, uh, about his wife and him, wasn't it? It was, Although yeah. it's a bouncy track. Yeah. yeah. There's sadness behind it. Mm. Yeah, it's quite interesting, the number of tracks that um, we don't really listen to the words to, and when you do, they actually don't exactly. really mean what you think they do, and that's a classic example of that. So. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, um, as I said, very fast-paced show, because we have got Super Tight Mega chance. Interview coming up yes. with uh, the lovely Mr. Tatchell. So I'm going to go straight on, um, and uh, let's get some news headlines. <laughs> This is Shout Out News Headlines on Thursday the 25th of February. Barry Duke, writing in the atheist journal The Three Thinker, is pleased to report that the Australian state of Victoria has become the latest territory to prohibit fundamentalist Christian efforts to turn gay and trans children into heterosexuals and gender conformists. A gay humanist website, the Pink Triangle Trust, explains that the Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Bill carries a penalty of 10 years jail or fines up to $10,000. Mr. Duke noted that the bar on the quack conversion practices was broadly welcomed by a majority of people. What's on Bristol magazine for February says that a new gay-friendly, vegan-friendly ethical food shop has opened in the city's eastern district, a multicultural area which boasts a large LGBTQ population. The public market shop on Meevart Street will supply fair trade, organic, farmer-friendly, ethical, vegan and vegetarian foods and toiletries. The proprietors of the new shop say we're on a mission to buck the trend of a broken food system and connect us with food that nourishes and tastes phenomenal. Now, you've seen the heartbreaking and yet empowering series It's a Sin, chronicling the experiences of a group of young people as they face the AIDS pandemic of the 1980s and the associated stigma and cruelty of the Thatcher years. Well, now Channel 5 gives those not old enough to remember the charts of that period. The 1980s saw some amazing music and complex social trends in the UK. On the one hand, there was a right-wing government which advocated monetarist economic policies and promoted the idea that there was no such thing as society. Whereas on the other hand, there was a rich movement of oppositional politics with New Age travellers, militant trade unionism, squatting, the movements for free radio, the underground press, youth countercultures and community building initiatives. Kella Beck, the feminist theorist and cultural critic, previews her new book on white feminism in the popular street song magazine The Big Issue. Beck finds that majority feminist and radical separatist feminism are geared around the needs of white women, cisgendered women, and she says are unfit for purpose. Indeed, she argues that the ideology is inherently capitalistic and encourages women to succeed under the patriarchy rather than replace it. Well, Beck argues that a new understanding of intersectionality is needed. 
Pope Ryan, writing in the weekly newspaper Socialist Worker, the journal of the left-wing Socialist Workers' Party, says that a new pamphlet is available from the group looking at LGBTQ liberation from their Marxist perspective. The SWP has had a gay rights policy since around 1971. Now, the new booklet, Pride, Politics and Protest, a revolutionary guide to LGBT plus liberation, argues that a gay, gay and trans oppression is rooted under the capitalist system. And finally, it's Deeth Dewey St. Happus to all our Welsh listeners for Monday. The 1st of March is St. David's Day. The patron saint of Wales, David was the Bishop of Minu, a settlement now known as St. David's during the 6th century. He was an important figure in the early church across Europe. For the benefit of our overseas listeners, Wales was conquered by England in 1282, which itself was under the suzerainty of the Norman French at the time. However, its language, literature and cultural institutions survived, and today Wells has its own assembly and some self-governance. For these news stories and further detail and much more, check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Terry Starr and Matthew Tosh. Shoutout News, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout out. LGBT radio for you. The Shout Out Podcast. God, you're my age. That brings back a few memories. That's uh, Dario G and Sunshine. And I don't think I'm the only one, judging by how many are bopping along with me on the camera there. Yeah, hey, definitely Steph? not. <laughs> um, yep, that was, uh, that was taken, actually, from the original uh, Life in a Northern Town by Dream Academy. Academy, yeah. It was indeed. Yeah. Yeah, what great track. Great show. Show, show your age now, though. <laughs> anyway, this is um, LGBT History Month, and as part of that, this week we've been catching up with Peter Tatchell, um, who we've had on the show before, um, but it's lovely to be able to catch up with him again as part of LGBT. LGBT History Month. Have a listen to this. So as part of our LGBT History Month um, going on this month, I'm very pleased to say we're welcoming back to the show um, um, a very nice man who we've had on many, many times. I'm very pleased to say everyone welcome back to shout out to Peter Tatchell. Hello, how are you? Greetings and happy LGBT plus History Month. Indeed, yes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I, I know it's still not the most ideal in these lockdown times, but uh, there does seem to be a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, doesn't there, which is um, good. So um, we, we were kind of hoping we could have a bit of a chat with you about your history, considering it's um, LGBT History Month. What, what kind of got you into activism in the first place? Well, the earliest thing I can remember is when I was aged 11 in 1963, I heard about the bombing of a black church in Birmingham, Alabama, where four young girls about my own age were murdered by white racists. I can remember thinking at 11 years of age just how shocking that was. How could anyone kill another human being, let alone four young girls in church on a Sunday morning? So that prompted my interest and support for the black civil rights movement. But I didn't actually begin my activism until some years later in 1967 at the age of 15 when I was still at high school. A prisoner had escaped from jail and allegedly shot dead a prison warder during the escape. He was due to be hung. 
Now, I worked out at the age of 15 that based on the autopsy report that I read in the newspapers, which mapped out the trajectory of the bullet through the warder's body, that from where the jail escapee was standing when he fired the fatal shot and where the warder was standing when he received that fatal shot, it would have been impossible for the bullet to have had that trajectory through his body without doing an almost U-turn in midair. So that prompted me to join the protests against his execution on the basis that there was at least a reasonable doubt about his guilt. Sadly, he was hanged anyway. And in the end, that really shook me. It really, really shook me up. It prompted my lifelong skepticism of authority. I felt, how could we trust the government, the police, the judges, when this man was hung, even though there was some doubt about whether he could have fired that fatal shot. So it, it led me to question Australia's involvement in the Vietnam War alongside America, because of course I was living in my hometown of Melbourne, Australia at the time. It also prompted me to start campaigning for the rights of indigenous Aboriginal people. And then when I was 17, uh, when I heard about the uh, protest after the Stonewall riots in New York in late 1969, at the age of 17, I began working all alone to champion LGBT plus rights. Uh, Back then I say alone because there were no LGBT plus organizations in Melbourne, not even any helplines or counseling services. Uh, I tried to interest uh, the few gay friends that I knew, but they were interested, they were too afraid because homosexuality was still a serious criminal offense at the time. So I just did my own thing, writing letters mostly to newspapers, um, criticizing homophobic laws. Okay, can I, uh, I mean, that was quite a while ago. But is it still something you have as your inspiration that keeps you going now, those f- first things that got you into it? Well, you know, for me, um, when I was 17 and realised in 1969 that I was gay, and when I got the inspiration from the uh, gay liberation protests in New York later that year, um, I didn't have a reference point. You know, there were no LGBT groups in Melbourne. Um, So I took the black civil rights movement as my template for activism. I saw um, their ideas and methods as the way to do campaigning and activism. Um, You know, looking at the history of the black civil rights movement, I thought to myself, if black people are an oppressed minority and deserve equal rights, and they do, so do LGBT plus people as well. And I calculated on the studying the history of the Blackstone rights movement that it would probably take about 50 years for LGBT plus people to win legal equality in countries like the United States, Britain and Australia. That was in 1969. It was a guesstimate, but it's almost almost right. Yes, I was going to say. Uh, So can you tell us a bit about the first um, LGBT protests in like the the communist country, East Germany? Yeah, in 1973, I went as a Gay Liberation Front delegate to the World Festival of Youth and Students in communist East Germany. Um, This was a big jamboree of 
uh, young people from all over the world, I think about 140,000, um, where we were making the case for social justice, equality and freedom. I was the only gay delegate out of 140,000 young people. Um, and I staged a series of protests for LGBT plus rights in the heart of communist East Berlin, which as far as I know, was the first ever protest for LGBT plus rights in a communist country. Uh, I was um, uh, detained and interrogated by the Stasi, the secret police. Um, on the final day when I tried to march with a placard supporting, quote, homosexual liberation, um, the Stasi tried to arrest me. I escaped. Uh, but then uh, I was beaten up by other delegates in the British delegation uh, who thought that supporting LGBT plus rights was shameful, disgust, disgusting and uh, a symptom of degenerate capitalism, to quote their words. Gosh, it's a completely different time. <laughs> it's very, very interesting, actually, Peter, isn't it? Because a lot of people associate the left with LGBTQ equality, but it hasn't always been that way, has it? There's been a lot of homophobia from left-wing organisations over the years. That's right. It wasn't until after that incident, which got publicity in Britain and in many other countries, that... Uh, communist and left parties began to change their stance, largely out of embarrassment and shame that, you know, that I had been treated so badly and subjected to violent assaults and even threats by some hardline communists to, quote, kill me. Um, you know, that, that really helped turn the table, uh, turn the tables and turn the tide uh, and did lead uh, soon afterwards to the Communist Party of Great Britain declaring their support for LGBT plus rights. Uh, and many other left groups as well. Yeah, yeah, and the trade union movement, of course, who were very important in the 70s especially, I would imagine. That's right, although yeah. the trade union movement took quite a lot, lot longer. Right, okay. Uh, Peter, Peter, could you tell us about the Mike Tyson incident? <laughs> well, that was in uh, 2002. Mike Tyson was due to um, fight a world title about against the British boxer Lennox Lewis in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, given Mike Tyson's history of sexism and homophobia, I thought I couldn't let this opportunity pass. So I flew over to Memphis uh, and linked up with a couple of LGBT plus activists there. And we ambushed Mike Tyson outside his gym as he was going for training about, I think it was five days before his world title fight. Um, now, I, I, you know, collared him and said, you know, uh, how come you're using these homophobic um, expressions against Lennox Lewis and other boxers? That's, you wouldn't like it if a white boxer used race against you. And initially Tyson was quite aggressive, but then he saw the cameras and photographers and calmed down. Plus, I wasn't threatening him. Uh, and then we had a conversation and I ended up by saying to him, look, you know, if you're really not homophobic as you claim, then will you make a statement in support of LGBT plus rights? And to his great credit, he did. He said mm. that he was opposed to discrimination against gay people. And I think at the time he was the first um, major macho straight sports star to ever make such a public statement. So a bit of redemption there. 
Um, Peter, um, outrage that went on for, uh, what, 30, 31 years. What was the... 21 years. 21 years. Was it? Okay, sorry. From 1990 to 2021. Okay. Uh, 2011, sorry, you got me confused now. (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell me, uh, what was the trigger for that? Well, it was the combination of... Uh, increasing police arrests of gay and bisexual men for consenting same-sex behaviour, mostly cruising in parks and toilets, but in instances where usually no member of the public witnessed the acts or was offended, people were only caught because the police used argent provocateurs or set up spy ops in these public places to catch out gay and bisexual men. Um, In fact, Um, By 1989, the number of men convicted for the consenting offence of gross indecency was almost as great as in 1954-55, when male homosexuality was totally illegal and when the country was gripped by a McCarthyite-style anti-LGBT witch hunt. So um, that was one factor. The second factor was the fact that the police were not doing proper investigations of queer bashing attacks and murders. Um, in the period 1986 to 1991, I identified 51 murders of men where the motive pointed to homophobia, such as, for example, um, no robbery, uh, extreme frenzies attacks where perhaps the victim was stabbed 50, 60 or 70 times, uh, perhaps their genitals were mutilated, um, that's 51 that I knew about. I think the real figure must have been much higher. So outrage was saying, we want protection, not persecution. We said, why are the police putting so many resources into arresting gay and bisexual men for victimless behavior where no one's been harmed, and in most cases, no member of the public has complained, yet they're putting hardly any resources into catching the people who are killing and bashing us. That's quite quite an interesting one because I, I do remember the whole um, um, kind of baiting thing that you were talking about with um, with things like cottaging and the like. I, I, I remember in my teens seeing warnings about it, um, and I never quite understood. Um, it's, it's quite interesting to hear your point of view on it. Um, changing the subject very slightly, I believe you were quite um, quite key in helping to secure um, the support of the um, ANC in South Africa for LGBT plus equality. Um, you you part of the first draft could you tell us a bit more about um that well i was uh, a young activist in the anti-apartheid movement supporting the struggle of black people for equality and justice to end the segregationist separatist policy of the south african regime but i was horrified to hear reports that the anc was quite homophobic um and in fact you know i had several instances where leading ANC figures had made very homophobic remarks. So even though I was very loyal to the anti-apartheid movement, I felt that this had to be challenged because, you know, I remember and I'd been involved in the campaigns against Cuba in the early 1970s when they set up labour camps where LGBT plus people were deported and worked under very harsh conditions as punishment for their homosexuality or gender identity. Um, So I thought, well, I don't want 
you know, a post-apartheid South Africa under the ANC to end up like Cuba, where LGBT plus people are being persecuted. So I have to do something now, something now. So what I did was I wrote a personal letter to Thabo Mbeki, who later became the president of South Africa, but at the time, in 1987, he was the information minister of the ANC in exile in Lusaka in Zambia. And I wrote to him explaining that I thought that homophobia was incompatible with the ANC's Freedom Charter, which talked about a free and liberated and equal South Africa. And I pointed out that there were LGBT plus activists in South Africa who were involved in the anti-apartheid movement, that they had made great personal sacrifices to support the struggle, and that they deserved respect, dignity and rights once the ANC came to power. Uh, eventually, after a lot of internal negotiations and discussions, Thabo Mbeki wrote back to me, making the first public commitment of the ANC to support LGBT plus rights. Uh, not satisfied with that, I heard two years later that and a senior a ANC member, LB Sachs, was in London drafting the new post-apartheid constitution. So I contacted him at his base at London University and proposed to him that there should be a clause in the constitution outlawing all forms of discrimination, including on the grounds of sexual orientation. So I sent him uh, a, a draft wording uh, backed up with examples of anti-discrimination laws that existed at the time in the Netherlands, Sweden and Denmark. And we had a, a conversation, a discussion, a toing and fro. And then I got two um, South African LGBT plus anti-apartheid activists to come to London to meet him personally, to make the case as LGBT plus South Africans. So that process ended up with LB Sachs and the ANC agreeing that sexual orientation protection should be in the post-apartheid constitution. And you're right, it was the first constitution in the world to explicitly protect LGBT plus people against discrimination. It was absolutely phenomenal. Um, uh, must be, must have, must have felt really good as an achievement. That one is. Well, of course, I was acting in solidarity with LGBT plus South Africans and liaising with them yeah. all the time, and with other activists in the anti-apartheid movement inside South Africa. So, you know, without their backup and support, maybe my efforts wouldn't have come to such success. True. <laughs> Peter, can we um, look at the uh, AIDS pandemic that also was going on, you know, in the 1980s? It's all been in the news with the uh, Russell T Davis series uh, It's a Sin on Channel 4 recently. Um, you wrote a booklet called AIDS, A Guide to Survival in 1986. And um, you were also involved in 1995 in writing the brilliant and very sexy book called Safer Sexy. Um these um, books, can you tell us a little bit about the, the background to your writing style uh, for those sort of seminal publications? My motivation for writing AIDS, A Guide to Survival in 1986 was because I was horrified that no one, not even the Terence Higgins Trust, was giving people with HIV and AIDS any hope. They were simply saying, it's a fatal disease, you're going to die. 
And I looked at the experience of cancer help organizations and cancer survivors to know that there are things that you can do to reduce the level of illness and prolong the life expectancy. So that book really drew on cancer studies primarily to show that lots of things people could do might, or in many cases would, uh, reduce the severity of their AIDS infection, reduce the frequency of serious illness, and prolong their lifespan. Things like you know, having a good diet, regular exercise, a positive mental attitude, and so on. And although it was not a perfect solution, far from it, but I know from the feedback that it did give hope to literally thousands and tens of thousands of people with HIV and AIDS who previously had no hope, who were despairing and had just no prospect of living beyond a few months or a year. So, you know, I'm really, really, really pleased that I was able to give those people hope. And of course, some of them did eventually die. But many wrote to me and said, you know, you following your advice, my condition did improve, the severity of my illness reduced, the frequency of these opportunistic infections declined. And, you know, I got an extra year or two of life. Um, with regard to the other book, Safer Sexy, uh, The Guide to Gay Sex Safely, that was written again on the basis that people were saying you should practice safer sex, but no one was really explaining or promoting the idea that you could do so and have great fun as well. So this book was a, you know, full-colour coffee table book, um, which sought to promote the glamour and excitement of safer sex. So rather than it being a chore or a second best or a sacrifice, showing how you could have safer sex and have lots of fun. Um, I deliberately included, I think uh, it was uh, over 60 um, uh, images of erect penises, um, and over 20 shots of oral and anal penetration. Again, to try and excite people that safe sex was fun, desirable, erotic, sexy. Um, and of course, in the process, I helped change the enforcement of the obscenity laws in this country. Up until that time, any portrayal of an erect penis or oral or anal penetration was deemed a serious criminal offence. You could go to jail for it. But I argued this was a life-saving book. It was about sexual health and education. We had to scrap those laws and we had to show the reality of gay sex in a way that was appealing, glamorous and exciting. And although the police did seize the book on a couple of occasions, no prosecution ever took place. And it was from that moment onwards that erect penises and oral and anal penetration, and indeed vaginal penetration, became no longer the subject of prosecution, as far as I know. Mm. So I was really glad that I was able to yeah. do, a, do, a, do a service for safer sex, but also challenge and you know, basically reform yeah. Britain's absurd, antiquated censorship laws. Well, it sounds, like it, was, it yeah. sounds like it was designed to be educational, not 
not so much just about what they perceived back then to be the crude side of it so well that's right but you know i thought you know tell and show gay sex as it really is why not yep indeed now peter uh, you inspire so many people around the world um but who inspires you well i'd say that um my three main political inspirations are Mahindra Gandhi, who, using nonviolent direct action and civil disobedience, helped liberate India and win its independence from British colonial rule. Um, Sylvia Pankhurst, the great suffragette, who not only championed votes for women, but also particularly rights for working class women, for improved wages and conditions for women factory workers, for nurseries uh, for working mothers and so on and then martin luther king uh, the leader of the black civil rights movement in the united states who again showed how non-violent direct action can be used as a weapon to first of all defeat segregation in the deep south and secondly to end restrictions and bans on black voting rights cool um and you you mentioned earlier around having the foresight of seeing something that took 40 or 50 years to actually come and making that prediction but you also kind of did a similar thing in the 70s when you proposed a single um equal rights act which again took till about 2010 um before it was enacted which kind of shows you you do seem to have a knack of um predicting these things and one of the questions that we wanted to ask you is have you ever actually thought about standing for parliament well, you know, I did stand for Parliament in 1983 in the notorious Bermondsey by-election. I was a left-wing uh, candidate for the Labour Party. Um, I was a very strong advocate of women's rights and LGBT plus rights, as well as racial equality and many other causes. Um, and most commentators in the day uh, said that it was the dirtiest, most violent, and certainly most homophobic election in Britain since the Second World War. Indeed, Gay News described what happened to me as the most sustained vilification of a public figure since Oscar Wilde. So I lost the election, uh, but that did not deter me. The homophobia I experienced motivated me to redouble my efforts for LGBT plus human rights. It's, it's it's lovely to hear. I mean, a lot of people, they, they experience something like that. That'd be the point where they, they kind of give in to, to that homophobia and let it get the best of them. But, but the one thing I've certainly noticed, it's it just seems to make you stronger and, you know, want to keep going and, and, and do more. And I, I'm pretty sure you've inspired um, many of the generations um, around you as well. Um, so, I mean, if you could leave us with, with one final thought, um, one message that you could send to our audience, both um, LGBT plus and non, what would that message be? Well, two messages, if I may. The first is if anyone's interested please go to my foundation's website, which is petertatchellfoundation.org. And on the homepage in the top right-hand corner, there's a button called Join Us. Um, if you give us your email address there, we will send you a weekly bulletin on 
LGBT and other human rights issues. It's totally free. There's no charge. We'd love to have you as part of our little LGBT plus and human rights community. And the second point is uh, my, my, I suppose, message is, my party message is, um, don't accept the world as it is. Dream of what the world could be and then help make it happen. Lovely message. Um, listen, Peter, I know you're an extremely busy man. It's, again, um, both an honour and a pleasure to have you on the show, especially um, during LGBT plus History Month here in the UK. Um, a huge thank you for um, um, coming and talking to us. It's lovely to get a bit of insight into it. And uh, we will make sure that we put the links to your website up on ours when the podcast goes up as well. But um, uh, for now, um, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Satchel. Thank you. For more information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT radio for you. The Shoutout podcast. Uh, believe it or not, that one steps and uh, lights up the world. Were you playing that at the right speed? Were you sure that was on? That's, that's a 45, you were playing at 33. It sound a bit... Slow, all, all the kids go, what, 45, 33? And Terry goes, I remember 77. 78. 78. 78. Oh, see, yeah, there you go. I'm not We're talking record speeds for those of you that, that, that don't uh, remember records. So, Revolution's um, yes. Yeah, no, sorry, Steffi, that is not your um, dancey version. Um, but I promise, if you if you let me, I'll, I'll play that in a, in a future show, because we haven't heard that that in god knows how long have we no no it was much better to hear it with seventh heaven remix yeah Mm, yeah brilliant reminds me of 90s discoing partying like you know the era of gay clubbing like the sunshine like the sunshine record earlier that was a that was a gay club classic wasn't it in 96 97 I think it's a little bit later I'm not sure but you might be right 96 is when I was I was 18 they were out yeah. on the scene. Indeed. What was that, three years Chicken? ago? <laughs> it was, yeah, three years ago. I love you, Steph. Honest. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, and wasn't that a really good interview with Peter as well? It was lovely to um, hear so so in depth. I mean, tell me, you were saying um, he he doesn't very often give big interviews like that, so it was very kind of him to do that for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. We normally you normally sort of hear him speaking sort of on sort of short soundbite programs. So it's really nice to get an in depth discussion of his politics and where he comes from. I've got an interesting Peter fact for you, if you've got time. Yeah. Do you know that he was once asked? I, I think it was Attitude magazine, Gay Men's magazine, and they said um, if you did. Um, that programme stars in stars in their eyes who would you be and he eventually selected Heather Small from M People and I think that's wonderful wouldn't that be great if Peter Peter doing Heather Small (laughs) for Search for the Hero which is a nice choice I need a top up from a hug from Heather oh oh, you've met her yes she gave me a hug and um, I want another one Heather if you're listening yeah (laughs) I I remember when we interviewed her and she was because we were told oh you know she might not have time and uh, and the like and she went out of her way in fact Matthew weren't you doing a kind of like I, I sco- you were doing I a piece back to the, the studio, studio. Uh, sort of a, a live link test and she appeared next time I think Steffi me sort of nudged her towards me I turned around and she's there I said hello <laughs> 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 yeah, well, I, I seem to remember the, bre- again, the bre- didn't we? 
Well, we did we later on, yeah, after, after she'd done a... She sung, yeah. Yeah, but um, I think we gave the breakfast team at BCFM a bit of a heart attack because they just weren't expecting to yes, talk right. to her, were they? So... <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm sure that won't be the last time we talk to Peter. We do talk to him a lot. And it's quite a nice way to round off um, um, History Month because this is our last show as part of uh, History Month. It is. But, um, um, but we do have more history segments coming. We, we've got quite a few coming, haven't we, um, yeah. over the next few weeks. Well, but, you know, that's... that's I mean, it's part of part of what we do with the show. So, you know, it's kind indeed, of Indeed, let's, cele- let's celebrate LGBTQ history every month. Yes, yes. indeed, that's what Terry. Indeed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens because um, I, um, I don't. We don't know what's happening with uh, the prides necessarily this year. We know Western Supermare prides going online, aren't they, um, for this year? Uh, but I don't think we've heard from Bristol yet. Um, no, and, uh, it's going to be around the time. Is, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Lockdown will be eased, but uh, only subject to scientific consensus. So yeah. watch this space. Yeah, I mean, England, they could do a late one, couldn't they? Um, I like guess September, because weather's not too bad in September. Perhaps we just have the issue with that is that you could have a lot of events piling into That's September true, because yeah. it affect, uh, September events would which would normally be taking yeah. place as well. Mm. So, That's right. Yeah, it's a watch this space. It's definitely watch this space. Uh, yeah. well, whatever happens, we're having a big party. Um, with all the technical yes. problems we have doing this remotely, I'm kind of looking forward to getting back in the studio. <laughs> it will oh, be good fun. Be nice. It will be that nice. Will be nice. Yeah, all all together. Nice. Yeah. And then More in twenties all... are coming. Yeah. All in our string vests, all together. String vests. <laughs> well, I like to be ahead of the gay curve, and this is going to be this year's yeah, fashion, the, the I'm sure. Thing. Stocked at Prowler and Clone Zone and all those other LGBTQ uh, shops, they'll be selling yep. your string vests. Matthew with his knotty hanky on his head. Right. Naughty Tanky. Know. Yep, you yeah. heard it here. Yeah. Oh, Shout fashion out. statement. You heard it here first. <laughs> Shout out logo on the top. Got me done. <laughs> oh, right. now I, do you have it? Have it like so that be, when we, we read from behind or in front when you dipped your head, um, which way would the uh, logo anyway, go? The, oh. well, Any right. which way you want, I yeah, and, and you need a right. pretty thick material, wouldn't you? Else you'd end up with like shout out unsunburnt into your head, wouldn't you? Latex, <laughs> I think we should use latex. <laughs> Although latex, latex doesn't protect you from UV light. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you scientists, you need to know that. Uh, anyway, that's it for um, another week, and indeed LGBT plus history notes from us. But as always, like we said, uh, there is still loads and loads coming in future weeks. And that could be you. If you have something that could be of interest to the LGBTQ plus community, please get in touch. Just email studio at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Likewise, if you'd like to get involved in radio, we're also looking for more volunteers to help us here on Shoutout. But for this week, from myself and the rest of the team, one and all, everybody, please say goodbye. Bye-bye. Shoutout. LGBT radio for you.